G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. We were actually going to the pub, but we actually didn't make it to the pub because there was a puddle on the road that had been raining in November, which is a little bit weird. And my mate sort of swerved out onto the other side of the road to miss the puddle. And there was a tree just sitting there waiting for us to crash into it. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 1993, the future looked bright for Glenn Hazelwood. At 18 years old, he was a talented footy player with dreams of playing in the AFL. But then a traumatic car accident changed his life forever. And on the way to hospital, he died and was later resuscitated. Today, Glenn will share his incredible story of life and death and then life again. He's having a chat with Karen Hunt. Tell us your story. Are you a born and bred local Warrnambool boy? Yes, I was born in Warrnambool 39 years ago. Yeah, I'm a local. Tell us about those early memories of yours growing up there. What did your family look like and what kind of things did you get up to? Um, In Warrnambool, growing up there was not that much really. I was always really, really super interested in sport and that was pretty much my only sort of goal. Mm Mm-hmm. That was my avenue that I was going to escape Warrnambool sort of thing, like go and play sports somewhere. I was a very good footballer, basketballer and cricketer for my accident. And did it help you escape? Did you go beyond the area with your sport at the time? Not a lot before my accident. Like I represented Warrnambool. I just missed out on playing for Victorian basketball one year, but for football, I was, no, I was just playing locally, so... And at school, what other things did you like beyond your sport? Or really you didn't care about anything else? That was your thing. Yeah, well, it pretty much was because I always, I was a reasonably smart sort of kid, but I always thought, well, I don't even really have to try that hard because if I don't go to university and get a job, I can always just go to a football club and say, hey, I'll play footy if you can find me some work. So a bit cheeky, a bit lazy. And were your family into the same thing? Uh, into sport and stuff. Yeah. No, not really. What were they into? Oh, well, Dad was a very good golfer back in his day. At one stage, I think he played off a handicap of two, which was pretty reasonable. That was when he was president of the golf club, but now he's sort of getting older and stuff he's done to slow down, I suppose. Did you have a close family, Glenn? No, not, not hugely. It was because I suppose they're not Christian, I think. That is actually why I could grow up and not be a Christian. So that was obviously the same for your older brother as well that you told me about, Glenn? Yes, yes. He was uh, not a Christian either when he was growing up. But I suppose that's the way God planned my life to happen. Sure. That's a part of your own personal journey, that of your family. Tell us... Glenn, so how did you stumble across any kind of Christianity and any kind of faith that's led you to where you are now? Well, that's interesting. I was sitting at home one day and sort of coming into summer. It was a nice day. 
I'm walking out the front door and thought I'd go for a walk. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll go for a walk and go where? And then I thought, well, I'll walk down the beach. And I ended up walking past a guy's house who I used to play football with. Mm-hmm. And he he was a painter. He's a painter. Yeah. But he was out the front cleaning his paintbrushes with his partner, who is a, who is a Christian as well. And they shared the gospel to me, and I, my first prayer was, God, if you're real, have this bloke ask me to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> of course, God's real, so <laughs> uh, he asked me to go to church, and I think I've only missed four Sundays since I've been, that was in the year 2000, and I've only missed four Sundays when I've been in town. So four Sundays in 14 years. Something along those lines, too. Wow. And that was just on the side of the street, the footpath, round the corner, down the road from your home? Pretty much, yeah. So (laughs) how soon was it that you actually went with them to church as such? I went to church with them that Sunday. And since then, I I just knew this was the place I wanted to be and needed to be. I suppose I just knew this is where I belong. Something in my spirit said, this is where it's at, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Get me back here next week, sort of thing. And uh, I've just sort of continued on ever since. Uh, it was about a couple of months before I actually said the sinner's prayer. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure it wasn't a cult. <laughs> sure. I just wanted to check it out and make sure I knew what I was getting in for here. And I, I thought, hang on, these guys actually love each other. This is so rare, you never see this in the world. And uh, I just went, well, then I found out that this is so the sin's prayer. You actually become a Christian and you get the same love, you get into the same sort of family and deal yourself. So you discovered family in a whole different light by the sound uh, of it? Yes, uh, yeah. And your own sense of personal love and belonging and acceptance from the God who made you? Yeah, yeah. Now, chronologically tracking your journey, Glenn, I'm aware that in the year 1993, prior to your Christian commitment that was made in the year 2000, a major accident happened which truly did affect your life physically, emotionally, in many, many different ways. Are you willing to share with us about that? Yeah, mate. Um, I mean, essentially that is why and how I'm alive and actually what I'm doing alive today is the fact that after the car accident I was resuscitated on the way to the hospital and in that brief period of time where life was so close to going either way, God let me see what happens when a man dies and he could sort of bring me back without a major miracle. So this was in the ambulance? Yes. Glenn, you were telling me off air that this particular car ride, you were travelling with your best mate. So in 19... 93, where were you going and what happened? Well, we were actually going on our way from a unit which we'd just rented out mm-hmm. probably a month before with two other mates. We were sharing a bedroom. We were on our way to the pub. They had a happy hour up the street in Warrnambool mm-hmm. and we were going to go down to... Watch the Hoodoo Gurus down at a venue called the Lady Bay Hotel. Yes. Some people might, may or may not remember. Uh-huh. I, de- uh, I definitely um, remember the band. It, yeah. Oh, they were awesome band. Yeah, uh, but we actually didn't make it to the pub because, there was, as I believe, as far as I can tell, there was a puddle on the road that had been raining mm-hmm. in November, which is a little bit weird. 
And my mate sort of swerved out onto the other side of the road to miss the puddle because he'd only had his license for six months. And there happened to be a car coming the other way right at that time. And so he had to had to pull his hand down hard right or hard left, whatever. And there was a tree just sitting there waiting for us to crash into it. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Glenn Hazelwood and finding out about his incredible life and death experiences. As we just heard, at 18 years old, he was in a traumatic car accident. Next, we'll find out about his trip to the hospital and how he had to be resuscitated after, technically, he had died. He says he had about a two-minute experience in hell before he was revived. We'll find out all about that when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Glenn Hazelwood about his life and death experiences. Before the break, we heard about how Glenn and his friend were in a horrific car accident. Now we're going to hear the rest of his story. What about your mate? He, he actually he died in the accident, but I'm fairly. I've got a. I believe he's actually he's up in heaven because we had the accident at eight o'clock at night. And he was on life support until 12 o'clock the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, so I believe he's had enough time. He was on life support while he was on life support to um, actually sort of cry out, God, help me, help me, God. And I think that's enough for anyone, for God to say, well, yeah, I'll help you. Well, I hope and pray so too. He was your best mate, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So while he was on life support... You're driving in an ambulance prior, and you yourself, hell's a pretty real place. Can you tell us uh, what you experienced? It's a dark, cold room. It, like I just, it was like I in the dream sort of sort of realised what happened. I sort of, I sort of woke up in my bedroom, and I, like I needed to go to the toilet, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to where the door was, where I thought the door was, and there was no door. And I walked around and around this dark, cold room looking for a door frame or something mm-hmm. to get out and go to the toilet. And um, I eventually said, well, where am I? I had no idea who I was talking to or if I was talking to anyone. But I said, so where am I? And I heard this voice say back, shut up, you're in hell, you deserve to be here. Mm. And I went, oh, right. Um, wait, and I was one of the nice guys. The people used to like me and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't really understand the full spiritual ramifications of a relationship with Christ or not. But I suppose that I'm alive today to tell people that it is absolutely necessary to be a Christian or well, you will get an eternal consequence. What about coming out of that place? How long would you imagine you were in that state? In hell. 
that roughly, I don't know, time frames, but I quoted it to about two minutes before I thought, hey, if this is how long, that's really, really how and it was Satan I was talking to back over there, then heaven's real and so is God. And I prayed, the, I knew the first two verses of the Lord's Prayer, and I prayed that whole Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up in the back, back of the ambulance, with, and it's, which has only come back to me in dreams. Yeah. By the way, like I, I wasn't conscious of it when, I, when all this happened, so yeah. it's only come back to me in dreams. And it was like the ambulance officers were trying to wrestle me. I'm just, I'm lying in the back of the ambulance and I, I just wanted to go to sleep more than anything. Mm. And of course, if I had gone to sleep, there would be no waking up for Glenn. So, so you stayed awake? You went to the yeah. hospital? Yeah. What damage did you have to yourself? I had a, a blood clot in my brain, which... They drilled burr holes in my in my head to relieve the pressure and all that. Mm-hmm. So I so I so I live and stuff. And actually, it was quite weird when they did the operation on me. God was obviously that interested in keeping me awake and saying like I just wanted to go to sleep more than anything because not that I was ex- especially tired, but I just. Satan wanted me to go to sleep more than anything to us, though. Mm-hmm. There was actually a nurse who was paid to sit at my head and talk to me. They only they did the operation with like a block, anaesthetic block. Yeah. And there was a nurse who was paid to sit at my head and talk to me the whole time so I couldn't go to sleep. So a blood clot to the brain. How long did you stay in hospital? And uh, what effect has this had on your life? Well, I was in the hospital. I was in intensive care slash special care down here in Warrnambool for one month. And then I quickly got moved to a rehabilitation specialist head injury unit down in Richmond in in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And I was there for eight months. And that was a pretty intimidating place. People were screaming at night time and all that sort of stuff. So it was not really good. So we're talking like 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a lock ward for, so that no one could actually leave. Like there was a big door locked on the front of the ward because it was a head injury. Mm. And people were not very sure who they were or where they were going or what they were doing. So when you came out, did you go home to family? Tell us what was it like in that season? Actually, looking back, it was probably quite intimidating, even though I didn't really realise what was happening at the time because I was still really struggling to figure out the world. After the next one, I had to learn how to walk, talk, eat, drink, everything that people just do as a basic necessity of life. I had to learn how to do again. And we can very much easily take all of those things for granted every day. Absolutely, yes. How long did that take you? I mean, to be honest, I'm still I'm still in that process. Okay. Like I'm still figuring out the yes. finer points of relating to people and stuff like that. But physically, so, you have your capacities all returned? Yeah, mostly. I've got a weak left-hand side because I have blood clotting the right-hand side of my brain. Mm-hmm. And my left hand's weak and uncoordinated. 
but I've found through doing stuff like like boxing, which is something I really like doing. Not that I like punching people or anything like that, but it's good for fitness and it's good for my health. So that's a so, part of your rehabilitation that you're able to get into that's helped? No, it's not actually part of the rehabilitation, but it's just something that I've chosen to do. Okay. There must be like a subconscious rehab thing on it. Uh-huh. I'm not really certain. Something that's able to strengthen you. Yeah, yeah. Was it your family that helped you emotionally in that time? What support network did you have? Was it the footy club? Well, I'm relatively not distant from my family. Like I was living with mum and dad and stuff, but yep. we haven't always had the, the greatest relationship or the greatest family dynamic. We never really had that much of a great family situation going on, but... Uh, mostly, I suppose, football clubs, cricket clubs, people I knew through them. Sort of how I've learnt about life, mostly, since my accident. Tracking ahead a little bit now, Glenn, seven years later was when you were encouraged by your local footy club mate nearby to attend church. It wasn't too much later that you gave your heart, gave your life to Christ. I trust that you've been able to grow in your faith and and be discipled along the way. Would that be true? Yes. Well, initially when I got saved, the the church I was saved at, they threw me straight into a home group, which is great. Yep. And and they also had a new Christian group, so quite sort of good grounding out of that. And that also, of course, helps you to feel like you belong, you're a part of it, the family of God. Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. a whole different world. So. And learning about him and his ways together. That's pretty special. Yes, yes it was too. You said after the Beijing Olympics, something triggered in your mind and in your heart. What was that? Well, God had been saying to me, Glenn, there's something about the next Olympics. And I, I was sort of sitting, I was watching there watching TV and I, go, I, was, I, I said, well, Lord, hey, Tell me what it is or knock it off and get it out of my head. I'm trying to watch this. But <laughs> yes. And, um, but it wasn't until a couple of weeks later when the Paralympics were on, I was talking to my boxing coach and we are talking about the Paralympics and I suddenly twigged and I went, hey, maybe that's what God was saying to me. And then I, I, since that day I've made one phone call and it just all sort of happened from then. So boxing is your thing? Boxing is a fitness thing that I do. I don't do it as a sport per se. Like I've never had a boxing fight in my life and I quite possibly won't because it would just wreck all the, if I got hit in the head, it would wreck all the um, improvements that my body's been trying to make over the years since my accident. Yeah, but you're currently in training, you're saying, for the Paralympics. Yes, um, training for to throw javelin, shot put, and discus. Aha, so not for the boxing. No. Gotcha. So therefore, uh, the field events. Yes, I am. And how often would you train each week? I, I really need to start doing a lot more sort of competition training, but I hope to get to the gym at least three or four times and then maybe two or three sessions of shot put. Have you got a good coach? Not so much. I've, I've just bought myself a. I've, I've had a GoPro for a while. I'm just trying to work out the finer details of recording my throwing and that, so I can then send it down to 
coaches, like Victorian coaches and, so and that sort of thing. Well, Glenn, it's great to hear that you've got such great goals in mind. You're working towards something, you're finding your feet, you're loving God and growing in God. Glenn, I think it is absolutely testimony to God that you are alive and well and tracking in him because he ain't finished with you yet, my friend. Do you believe it? Absolutely. I'm, I'm in the start of the journey. I've been Christian for 14 years, but I feel like I've just got out of the block. I'm really excited about what the next phase of my life is going to contain. Well, we pray you blessing. I wish you absolute favour as you pursue the things of God and uh, keep tracking for the rest of your life. Thank you so much for your time in sharing your journey with us this morning, Glenn. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Glenn Hazelwood and finding out about his incredible life and death experiences. And it was great to hear how far his rehabilitation has come along since the car accident. We pray that he continues to heal and that he also continues to grow in his faith. As the Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Glenn says his involvement in his church and his love of sport have been very helpful in his ongoing recovery. Well, thanks for joining us for Glenn's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I ride upside down, inside out, and then my wife, she had to uh, reread it and rewrite it. And every time she read the part, she'd bawl her eyes out because I, I didn't really actually share it with anyone until I put it on paper. And she didn't know quarter of what I went through. Jimmy McMillan was sexually abused as a young boy, left school when he was only 15 years old and was told that he would never amount to anything. However, with the Lord's help, he's been able to turn his life around and has found the courage to share the struggles he's been through with others. We'll hear his story next time. 